Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Blind Shots Podcast. I'm your host, David Hill, coming to you from Lexington, Kentucky. This is episode 10, a conversation with Rue McDonald. Rue is a Scot, a golfer, an employee of the European Tour, a golf social media influencer, among other things. But of particular importance to me is that Rue is the owner and proprietor of the Scottish Golf Podcast, which is one of the original podcasts in the golf podcasting space. Ours is a conversation about his origins, his passion, uh, his current projects that I think you might enjoy. Technical difficulties uh, through our online service chopped our conversation into parts, robbed us of a few uh, small nuggets, but be patient as I narrate through what I was able to cobble together of our conversation. It's still plenty of information and plenty entertaining. Before then, a reminder that the Blind Shots podcast is a proud member of the Talking Golf Network of Shows. You can find them all at TalkingGolf.com. That's 1G in TalkingGolf.com. Uh, you'll find great golf podcasts, including the Good Good Golf Podcast with Rod Morey and Adrian Logue. They have put in yeoman's work and effort to soldier on and to continue to, frankly, crank out great discussions each week even in the absence of uh, professional golf to discuss. So check out that show's feed, listen to a couple of ex- episodes. I think you'll enjoy them. As always, you can interact with this show on Twitter at BlindShotsPod. You can find my thoughts and writings online over at OneBeardedGolfer.com, and you can interact with me directly on Twitter at OneBeardedGolfer. That's the number one, Bearded Golfer. I'm also on Instagram under the OneBeardedGolfer handle, and the show has its own Instagram account as well at Blind Shots Podcast. So do check those out sometime. As always, there will be links to any per- notes, and we'll have a few uh, for Rue's various enterprises today. So be sure to give that a look. You can also find those over on the blog. A reminder, this podcast is sponsored by me and only me. In addition to playing, talking, and writing about golf, I'm a licensed Kentucky realtor with Rector Hayden Realtors. That's a Berkshire Hathaway affiliate. I work both with homeowners buying and selling their homes and also work with investors and businesses on commercial properties here in Central Kentucky. You can find me professionally at davidhill.rhr.com. Reach out to me. I'll be happy to discuss your real estate needs and wants as they arise. Now back to Rue McDonald. I found him through his Scottish Golf podcast several years ago before the idea of my own Scottish Golf trip was even a remote possibility. Together with his co-host, friend of the show, Graylin Loomis, Rue painted pictures of the far-flung places in Scotland that I'd never heard of and golf courses that I couldn't pronounce and made them sound like places that I had to visit one day. He unknowingly played an integral role also in the planning and execution of my eventual Scottish golf trip. Never mind the knowledge of Scottish golf and the wealth of trip tips and, and travel information on his podcast, I listened to a lot of his archive shows and interviews just to familiarize my ears with that Scottish brogue, and it worked. I never got lost in conversation in Scotland. I never had to ask anybody to repeat themselves while I was over there, and on a couple of occasions, I even played translator for Fred and Matt, which I take great pride in. It's a fun conversation here with Rue. It's a little bit all over the place due to the stops and restarts from our technical difficulties. He's gone from the ultimate Scottish local on all matters golf and parlayed that into a career in golf media. 
So to sit here and pretend I'm not envious would be utter folly. I joked with somebody on Twitter the other day that inside every lawyer that there's a John Grisham inside desperately working up the courage to get out. Much like inside every golfer, uh, each one of us is convinced that we wanted Matt Janela's job as a travel golf journalist. Well, in that same vein, Rue has charted his own path, and he's taken one enterprise, a podcast, and turned it into several other. And it's a fairly remarkable journey that he's on, all within a subject matter that I've learned to care about greatly. So after a couple of years laying fallow, the COVID-19 and coronavirus pandemic have given Rue a chance to restart his podcast with fresh episodes and ideas. And you can find those at scottishgolfpodcast.com. I hope you'll go over there, uh, not only for the new material, but there's such a wealth in the archives. It's worth your time to peruse and download a few and listen to them. Uh, He also now comes armed with a drone everywhere he goes. Uh, So when he's traveling, he'll be focusing a great deal of his attention going forward on developing content for his YouTube channel, which you can find through his website or by Googling uh, Rue McDonald or searching for it on YouTube under his name or under the Scottish Golf Podcast. Uh, Rue is spelled R-U and then McDonald is M-A-C-D-O-N-A-L-D. So a little different to the American ear and eye. Uh, perk up your ears now. Listen hard. I promise he's speaking English despite the accent. And I think you'll enjoy this conversation with Rue McDonald. Let's get started. Welcome in Rue McDonald to the podcast. Uh, he is, among other things, the proprietor of the Scottish Golf Podcast and all of its uh, affiliated social media accounts. Um, it was really my introduction to Scottish golf, other than what I saw on TV a couple times a year. And he has parlayed that into uh, basically a career in golf. So, Rue, welcome in. How are you? I'm good, David. Thanks for having me on. Uh, listen to your podcast, and uh, as we were chatting just before starting the episode, uh, we share a mutual love of Scottish golf. So, um, looking forward to chatting today. Well, for the people that may not be familiar uh, yet with the Scottish Golf Podcast, and there will be plenty of plugs for that along the way, and links in the show notes. But where are you from, Rue? Where are you now? Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. So originally from um, the, the island of Isla on the west coast of Scotland, my mother was Irish from Dublin and my dad was from the, the west coast of Scotland. And then at a very early age moved to where I have lived my my, my entire life almost, uh, is the northeast corner of Scotland, uh, home club Coorong Bay. So just about 15 minutes drive from Aberdeen, which is Scotland's third largest city in the oil oil and gas capital of Europe. So uh, very much home, very much a, a patriotic Scot. You make it sound like Texas. We'll just call that you are from the Texas of Scotland. I think people here will understand what that means. <laughs> um, with different weather, obviously, on the North Sea. How did you find golf, uh, or what age do you remember? Definitely not the weather. <laughs> what age do you remember when golf found you, or when you found the game? It was probably at the age of six or seven. I was uh, I was invited up with my my dad was a member of Croon Bay, and Croon Bay is uh, as you know a a top one hundred golf course in the world, but 
very much a, a working class membership. So uh, our annual dues are something like £650. So my uh, my father was definitely not um, a member of a fancy private club, but Cruden Bay felt pretty fancy as a six or seven year old. So he brought me along one one Sunday afternoon and we played a little nine hole course there and yeah, fell in love with it. And that's when I really stumbled across the more and more I went to Cruden Bay on those weekends with my dad. I I hear I started hearing voices that were not Scottish voices. So a lot of Americans, Canadians, Australians trying to get up and down from the first tee. And um, yeah, it was sort of a it was sort of a weird uh, moment for me, really, as a as a young kid to hear voices from around the world. So there was obviously something going on that that brought brought people to to my corner of the world to play golf. I can only imagine. Um... You know, growing up, I grew up in a town called Bowling Green, Kentucky, as a little kid. And while I was in elementary school or primary school, as you might call it, um, Nissan opened a plant about 50 miles away. And all of a sudden, we started having Japanese companies show up and uh, had that had an influence, an Asian influence around town, around the university. Uh, you started seeing signs and actually took studied Japanese language for a couple of years in elementary school and it, it happened really fast and being a little kid I didn't really think too much of it at the time but you know like you're talking about just to be a, a destination where you're exposed to so many different people from so many different places that's got to be a little bit wild um, you know my introduction to you started probably 2015 uh, listening to the podcast I had a friend I a Scottish golf trip was just a mere glint uh, in my eye at that point, but one of my best friends was headed over there, and he wanted to know where to try to play. Um, so I looked there. Oddly, there aren't tons, or at least then there weren't tons of lists of Scottish golf courses the way that you know everything in America is ranked. There's a ranking for private courses, public courses, you know, by region, all of that. Um, but I found the podcast and sent him a couple of episodes that proved helpful. Um, so that was sort of my introduction to Rue McDonald. How did the podcast get started? Sorry, David, you, just, you broke up there. Oh, sorry. I was just saying that you know my introduction to you was through the podcast, and before even I started planning a a real Scottish golf trip. I had a buddy that was heading over there for a couple of days and, you know, there weren't a ton of lists of Scottish golf courses outside of kind of the big name things you see in the top hundred in the world. So I sent him a couple of episodes from the podcast uh, that I thought pertinent about visiting Scotland. And, uh, that was sort of my introduction. That was my hook. And then I stayed with it, um, through up through what now you're in 127, 130 episodes, something like that. Uh, yeah, with a with a big gap in the middle, but I appreciate <laughs> you uh, you sharing the the couple of episodes there, and uh, that that was very much the um, the idea was to inspire people uh, to come to Scotland and and showcase uh, our golf courses very much to the inbound golfer, not not the uh, domestic market, um, because I think the domestic market um, probably can't swallow a lot of the green fees that the um, the, the great golf courses have here in Scotland. So it was very much about working in the fringes of golf tourism here in Scotland and actually understanding the evolution of media and where social media was going and where uh, on-demand platforms like podcasting and, and YouTube and stuff were going. 
going so um a sort of a sort of pioneer in that sense and, and certainly one of the early podcasters in the in the golf space did you have any idea where you wanted to take the podcast other than just you know sort of highlighting places that that would interest americans or canadians or or anybody else that was coming across the the pond to to play golf in scotland it was very much it still remains a hobby for the time being um but back then as a as somebody who was just finishing university and and, and actually working four different part-time jobs um to try and find where i was going in the in the golf tourism industry uh, it was it was just a, a hobby and actually it proved to be a um a gateway into employment for me as well so i was a, i was able to show people that i was uh, I was passionate and I understood social media and understood the platforms and understood how to network. Actually, the one key benefit I find from podcasting is actually the, the, the network you build up. So I was chatting to Golf Channel um, journalists and stuff on the uh, on the podcast on a weekly basis. So when I ran into them eventually in the media centers of the European tour, it was it was great. So that's one real positive to podcasting, I think, is the network that you can build up. That sounds – I imagine that would be a little bit odd. When people meet me just as Twitter friends, when I finally get to meet somebody on a course or, or out, it's always it's always interesting. It's always nice, and you, you have that sort of pre-existing connection. Now, a friend of this podcast – Most definitely, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I found that, that people were uh, – People uh, almost think they know you before they meet you because they've spent hours and hours, or I've spent hours and hours in their ears. So uh, it's it's a strange it's a strange thing. They're running up to you like you know them, and uh, but it's it's great. It's uh, it's a real podcasting for me is a is a real special medium where you've got the attention span of somebody for thirty or forty minutes. Uh, now I work in in social media here professionally to get three or four seconds of people's times on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook's uh, an achievement. So it's a unique platform in that sense. It, you do wield a, a very special power if you can get somebody, if you get loyal listeners uh, checking in with, with what you have to say and the, the guests that you bring them. Speaking of guests, uh, my Twitter podcast, not yet real life friend Graylin Loomis, was my first interview that I, I did for this podcast. How did Graylin get involved with you on the Scottish Golf podcast? Yeah, a really good friend uh, of mine, Graylin, and it was his it was his um, co-hosting skills and what he brought to the podcast, which really kept the podcast going in its first stages as well. He. As you as you said in, in your uh, various episodes with Graylin, you found out his backstory, but he was obviously an American coming to Scotland, and he soon realised how special Scotland was, and he could speak to the American audience and, uh, and the North American audience, which is more than 60% of my listenership. Uh, he, he can speak to them in a different way than I can, so he can relate to them much better. And, and he can also share his experiences of what, what Americans – golfers face on a on a on a normal basis i was i was obviously naive to to what golf is like over there and we we uh to use a golfing cliche we kind of have an egg quite well on the podcast and uh yeah through the podcast we've been great friends and i was at his wedding and stuff so uh i'm actually chatting catching up with him later on tonight as well so uh he's he's obviously um busy with a career of his own now and uh 
the podcast is just me at the moment, but um, we're certainly still friends. Yes, he's you know his journey continues to involve. Do tell him hello for for me. Uh, and I've had so many compliments on his episode. People have reached out to me saying, uh, you know that that the information he provided was helpful. Hopefully, they're buying his ebook because uh, that was my travel bible uh, coming over when I came across the pond last fall. Um, you know, you are an unapologetic cheerleader for Cruden Bay on your podcast. Um, you know, so much so that it's sneaked into my bucket list. When when I go back, it will be tough for me to decide between east or west coast of Scotland um, because there are, you know, north of Carnoustie up there, closer to Aberdeen in your area. And even when you hook west to the, the north of Scotland, there are so many fun-looking remote places that I want to visit. But the same is true over there in the Hebrides and out by Macrohanish and, and all of that. What... You know, you grew up in Cruden Bay. Can you still look at it and see what is so special about it uh, for someone maybe that is that lays eyes on it for the first time, plays it for the first time? Yeah, absolutely. And I think being away from it, and actually this Friday pass was the first time we played golf here in Scotland for, for a couple of months since the lockdown period. Uh, it was slightly slower to come out of lockdown than the rest of the UK, but seeing that golf course again for after two months yeah i'm i'm definitely appreciative of what what i've got on my doorstep and what i get to play every weekend and while members uh and it's maybe the the scottish pessimistic mindset is always looking to complain about the speed of the greens or the condition of the golf course i i can't look past the uh the pure like natural authentic golf experience that i'm very lucky to have so uh very lucky to call crew bay home and uh and yeah not just crew bay in the in the local area we've got so many great golf courses and 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 that's when i look ahead to what i have planned for the the content not only on the podcast but on my on my youtube channel and my instagram and trying to create more video i'm within a short drive of so many great golf courses that I sh- i'm looking forward to showcasing in the in the months to come that is quite the tease. That is something for us all to look forward to, uh, especially because we're we're still not traveling the way even here with our lockdown slowly being lifted. We're not traveling the way that we usually travel. So, yes, there will be tons of Americans living vicariously through your feed, Rube. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that, that's, that, that's the goal, David. <laughs> Definitely um, is to fill the void of many golfers who can't travel this year in Scotland is predicted to pretty much be a write-off for the whole season. So uh, a lot of the golf courses that are usually full of visiting golfers are, are pretty sp- uh, sparse at the moment. So, yeah, the, the Instagram feed will hopefully uh, fill the void for, for uh, a, few, a few golfers out there, including yourself. Yes, thank you. And, you know, that's something I wanted to get to a little later. But, the you know, what does golf in Scotland really hold for 2020. You know, I know there were there have been some announcements and some some rumors about the you know the Open Championship is obviously canceled, but the the Dunhill and the Scottish Open. Um, you know, our last round in Scotland last fall was at Leven, and I know that they had landed a a developmental tour event, um, which I haven't reached out to Sam to see if that's still on or not. But what does what is golf going to look like for the rest of this year? Best guess. Yeah, it'll be. It's just a guess, but uh, I think it'll be. I'll, I'd be surprised if guys have trips booked even in the fall of this year. It's going to be difficult, and whether 
whether you're better off cancelling, it's it's tough to say that because I want I want everyone to experience Scotland and Scottish golf. But the uh, Scotland, as a devolved nation of the UK, we have taken the coronavirus pretty seriously and and rightly so. Uh, so we've we've been definitely slower to come out of lockdown, and the the hotels will be the last place to open. The, the restaurants will be slow to open. The pubs will be slow to open. So I can't see how a, a golf experience here in Scotland is going to be the same in the fall. Uh, it just won't be. So I, I don't expect to be um, to be seeing any overseas golfers really this year. And uh, 2021, I think, will be a pretty busy year. <laughs> yes, uh, a lot of pent-up demand will be unleashed. You know, you, you focus there a little bit on sort of the traveler, golfer, the, the golf tourist, if you will. Um, you know, one thing about your Scottish golf podcast is it's very much an all-of-Scotland golf podcast. You don't just focus on your particular geographic corner of Scotland. Um, you know, does that, one... When you're talking about those courses and describing those areas, is that all from firsthand knowledge, or do you go, do you reach out to friends and kind of rely on on theirs? Um, I know I can barely get to my entire state of Kentucky here in the U.S. Much, you know, so I can't imagine getting uh, kind of expertise uh, around an area like Scotland with, that has such diverse golf uh, around it. And two. You know, you said your focus was mainly for the the overseas golfer, but do you find uh, or do you think, and this is just a shot, do you think that there will be more golf tourists within Scotland? You know, will the the lack of overseas visitors put some some pressure on greens fees to the point that maybe some Scottish golfers can take day trips to courses they or clubs they may not have otherwise uh, gone to see? Yeah, I, I think definitely on on point two, the we're already seeing that some of the uh, the bigger courses, uh, Castle Stewart to the, to the local Inverness market, Trump Aberdeen here, uh, they've already started reducing their uh, their fees. So definitely we'll see a reduction in in green fees. Uh, to to point one, I don't know, I don't know. To point one, I think you're going to see. Uh, when I when I travel, I, I obviously try and share those experiences. I haven't played all the golf courses in Scotland. Uh, not not I'm I'm working on it. There's 597, so um, I may be up to three figures. I'm not sure, but I I lean on uh, obviously working in the golf tourism industry before where I am now at the European Tour. I have a good network of people in the golf tourism industry, and I'm trying to showcase uh, all varied uh, golf experiences and 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 share those so even if it's somewhere like Musselburgh Old Course I would always talk about Musselburgh Old Course having never played it but you know trying to convince myself to play it and convince people listening to play it and then I eventually go play it so it's um, at the moment I keep telling myself about Muirfield and how great Muirfield is and I'm working on that one so uh, that's the next that's the next golf experience I, I have yet to sample but uh, yeah definitely most of the big ones I've managed to get to and uh I've got a growing list of of smaller courses that I definitely want to get to as well. Well, you've got a you've got a long list. There are lots of us that want to go see Muirfield. Trust me, and, and that's that was one of the toughest calls on our our golf trip was whether to dedicate a day 
there because we were staying in St. Andrews. We had rented a house, and so um, it would have been you know a bit of travel to get back there. But we were there in October, which you know may be the time of year to do it. Um, just because there weren't there were openings, it was relatively easy to book that late in the season when daylight and weather were a little more questionable. Um, one of the things that I've wondered listening to your show, as you're talking about that, you showcase it again for uh, kind of the visitor so much about the culture. Everything that we experienced in Scotland was so welcoming. You know, every place we went with the golf clubs, nobody gave us a second look. They're like, okay, you know, they knew exactly what we were there to do. They, everyone was helpful and welcoming. But I wonder, living there, you know, how parochial say a, a club golfer is you know does a member at Gullen know anything really about Brora or Macrahanish or does somebody that plays Western Gales competitions know about Cruden Bay or you know some of the smaller courses elsewhere in Scotland can you talk about that a little bit yeah I think first of all I think we're Scotland uh Golf is in our culture, and it's a bit of a cliche, but it definitely is because it touches so many different people. Uh, whether it's you know grandmas, grandas, kids, aunties, uncles, everybody plays golf, rich, poor, and that's one of the real things that I love about Scotland. And I think what makes Scotland as a golf destination unique, both Scotland, Ireland, England, Wales, we are all. Uh, a country or countries that that have no elitist golf uh, as, a, as as a majority, and I think that makes us unique because the rest of the world, certainly in America, golf is an elitist sport, and that there's there's more more private probably golfers, private clubs in, in a lot of countries around the world, and I've I've managed to travel and see those those private golf experiences a lot with the European Tour, having been to five continents now with the European Tour, so I, I do think that that sets us apart. Uh, I do, and I also think that uh, with, with golf being so important to people here in Scotland, uh, to, to golfers, I do think we have a, a curiosity to uh, to go see courses and travel, and, and uh, I think I think some of us will have more of appreciation for the history and the architecture, of course, and that, but that's just golf. Uh, not everybody's going to understand and, and feel passionate about those things, but uh, I definitely think as a as a as a culture, um, golf golf means a lot to us, and uh, and that inspires us all to sort of get out there and see what's um, next door. Yes, well, that's you guys are very fortunate to have such you know you have living museums over there. That's the only way I can really describe what I saw at North Berwick and in East Nuke and St Andrews. Just you you have your playgrounds are museum pieces and it's really incredible you, know, you mentioned uh, how much that you travel now with the european tour talk a little bit about how that came to pass what what is your position with them uh, you know the from an american's perspective you guys absolutely kill it on the social media content it's uh i think the impression of the PGA Tour here is that Ponte Vedra Beach keeps pretty tight reins on the marketing and the, the image um, that they put out in, for public consumption, whereas you know the, the social media content from the European Tour, by contrast, just looks like people are having fun. You know, it, it looks genuine. It looks authentic. Um, it looks a lot less, what would you, how to say it, ego-driven, maybe, or worried about perceptions. So, Mike, our compliments in that respect. 
Um, you make it look like an awful lot of fun. Make me want to watch more European golf. So make sure you, you tell your bosses that. Uh, but talk to us a little bit about what you do for the European tour, Aru. Yeah, so it all came about actually when I was working at the 2016 Scottish Open uh, at Castle Stewart. And um, the folks at Castle Stewart are, are really great and had have been really supportive of me. And they actually had me working for them for that week, uh, doing their social media coverage for their social media, social media channel. Uh, and that allowed me to to meet the European Tour content team and uh, work closely with them and and really partner with them for the week. And I did something right when uh, when they called a couple of months later and said we've got a job down in London. We've been impressed with what you've done. We know you work in the golf social media space. Do you fancy coming down for a chat? And so we did. And I managed to duck and dive moving down to London. Uh, Wentworth Estate is. I think it's on record as the most expensive postcode in the UK. So I was never going to move down as a, as a tight <laughs> Scot. Um, I had um, I had a, a long-term girlfriend and a, and a dog and a, and a flat up here in, in Aberdeenshire. So I wasn't keen on moving down, but we managed to make it work. Uh, and I've been there now for three years and uh, now a content manager at the Euro- European Tour. So... I can't take any of the credit about the uh, the social media uh, the coverage. Uh, we have a we have a small working team of, of of six or seven guys who create those big videos, those um, little Billy videos and other the silly pranks that you see. But we're on the periphery of that. I'm I'm more of the tournament day to day coverage. So if there's um, the Irish Open, I'll be over at the Irish Open. I'll be clipping up the shots and walking the driving range and and doing some post round interviews and stuff like that. So more of the tournament coverage. But I think to, to touch on why our content resonates so much with with golf fans, I think it's because of the players. And without the players, the content wouldn't be anything. So we have uh, a mix of nationalities and cultures and. And I think we have um, a willingness from the players to to make themselves uh, not always look on brand per se. So the likes of you know even John Ram, who's got a perception by some, and, and Terrell Hatton, another one who's got this um, certainly a perception by golf fans. They uh, they can have fun and have a laugh and and get their real personalities out there to the the golf fans, which I think resonates. Authenticity is uh, is always well received. Authenticity is crucially important in the world of golf today. One popular criticism of today's PGA Tour is that it has become overly sanitized. As Tiger Woods rose to prominence and earned the equivalent of the GDP of an emerging nation's economy for himself and his sponsors, the other golfers took note, and kids that came up idolizing him followed that business model as best they could, and a lot of these guys stopped being mere athletes and instead became quote-unquote brands. In reality, I guess all of this began in a sense with Michael Jordan, but that's another discussion for another time. Uh, While the brand nature has always been a part of the golf sport at the highest level, the PGA Tour was always full of personalities, uh, for better or for worse. To some degree, I think the European Tour has done a better job of continuing to cultivate and showcase the players' personalities. Uh, this is in stark contrast to what the suits at PGA Tour HQ and Ponte Vedra Beach 
and how they work incredibly hard, again, to sanitize everything from media access to players to the course setups from week to week. For me, that's a big no thanks. I like the European model better. Fortunately, not only professionally, but personally, Ruiz is as authentic as the content he's helping to create. His love of his home country and his home course are obvious. They come through on his podcast. And his passion to bring his corner of the world to the golfing masses is as valuable as it is noble for the golf landscape. And then you were just mentioning about the diversity of the European tour and how we get to travel to different continents and parts of the world and jump from golf course to golf course. You do, and the you know the Euro Tour presents such a different palette of courses, whereas there's almost uh, outside of the majors, uh, which have their own distinct flavor, of course. You know the European Tour has diversity, whereas there's almost a, a sanitized uh, course presented, uh, in my opinion, on on the American PGA Golf Tour. One of the things I wanted to know is when you are working on the road. Um, do you get to play much golf or is that the furthest thing from your mind when you're trying to set up interviews and, and content and those sorts of things on a tournament week? I, I haven't really taken advantage of traveling with my golf clubs. I have probably traveled with golf clubs. I can think of twice. Uh, one of those times was to, to Turkey to, to play some floodlit golf. Uh, obviously they, the days are quite long when you're out there and they're they're paying you to, to work and, and when you're out there you're working long hours so you know 15 hour days so uh, the chance of getting some golfing is tough and then traveling so much I think I was away on the road for, for maybe 20 weeks of the year last year uh, that includes time in the office as well so away from home so I uh, I and being from Scotland and where the golf is so good I was always keen to get home fairly quickly uh, so I played in Turkey and I also managed to play after the 2018 US Open at Shinnecock. I spent a couple of days, first time to New York, first time to Long Island. I, I managed to uh, get a couple of games in at, at Long Island. I managed to play Friars Head, which is obviously a pretty, a pretty good golf course and a pretty good golf experience. Uh, I'm, I'm one of my most memorable um days of golf really it was so different to what I was used to and uh, playing there myself with um, with a mandatory caddy which was the first time I ever had a caddy I think uh, just so different for me to experience and then the second day on Long Island I uh, I played uh, Maidstone so with a member so that was uh, you know a cultural experience a, a golf cultural experience both those those days no offense to my friends in Long Island but I'm sitting here a little bit cracking up because I don't know that you've actually played any American golf yet if your exposure was out on Long Island playing Friars Head and Baystone. <laughs> I've played Orlando golf, so I probably have played a lot of Ameri- plenty of American golf, enough American golf to uh, to not rush back and play Orlando again. But um, yeah, I think just traveling, uh, it's quite tiring to travel and, and I'm always keen to get back to the, um, the now wife and, and dog and then play some golf here. Well, and they are darling. I love. I have a black dog uh, that doesn't look too dissimilar from yours. So, uh, I'm always rooting for your dog to make the social media feed uh, <laughs> on yours. You know, that's funny. I went all the way to Carnoustie to get a caddy, and you, your first caddy was on Long Island in the states. What, what did you think of that experience? I was 
I was lucky. I got the cardiovascular put me uh, with a, quite a young guy. I think he was a 22 year old guy. Uh, I ended up following. I think we followed each other on Instagram. So he was, uh, you know, a younger guy, and it was casual. And um, you know, the thing about a caddy for me, I didn't want it to be an awkward experience, and it definitely wasn't. He was just a young guy chatting, and and uh, it was it was cool. I loved it. It was great. It was as I said, the um, the uh, the experience at Friars Head was amazing, and. I was listening to a podcast recently when they when they talked about the the showers and of course our mutual friend Graylin Loomis came up with the the power shower ranking which is basically a a sort of uh, rolling his eyes at maybe the golf rankings and and how we all put golf courses in in certain ranks so he he decided to flip it on its head and uh, and rank golf courses based on their power shower experience which I find is a is a cru- crucial part of the golf experience. And one one part of the golf experience I look forward to after a, a round of golf. So, Friar's Head would definitely be in the uh, in the top three, I think, when it comes to the power shower uh, ranking. That is always on top of mind for me as well. And I, it came up. I thought of Graylin and I thought of the podcast because I, I read in in links where Graylin actually used to work. They had a little snippet up this week uh, with Peter Alice and his comment on Royal Hong Kong. I think it was from way back when he played. I guess in the 60s or 70s, was that it was the most shower water pressure he had ever seen, and he you know, remembered it 40 years on. So I can't remember if I tagged him uh, with a, a repost on that, but that made me chuckle, and I thought, oh, this is – Grayland's going to have to start traveling again uh, to get the <laughs> um, a couple You've been very generous with your time, and thank you for that. I, I want to just get you out on a couple of thought questions. You know, in, in America, for people that haven't been to Scotland yet – I find Scottish golf means two things. It means the old course, which we all call St. Andrews, never mind the other courses that are actually there, you know, part of the Lynx Trust, um, or the, the Open Championship, which is typically gray skies, people in long clothes in the middle of summer, the wind blowing, things like that. You know, a, a lot of that has been dispelled amongst the, the hardcore golfer, what you do, uh, you know, Tom Coyne writing up about Ireland and Scotland, I think, has had a big influence what the, the no laying up guys do uh, with their, their videography and the storytelling they do has helped open a lot of eyes. If, if you could get it down to the 30-second elevator pitch, what do you wish people from other parts of the world knew about Scottish golf that they don't? I probably already alluded to some of it already, but it's uh, a golf trip to Scotland is something different. And we travel just generally, we all travel for unique experiences. And I think a lot of Scotland's courses that are deemed second tier give you a unique experience that you're never going to you're going to get in America. You're never going to get in Canada. You're never going to get anywhere in the world. So coming to Scotland is yeah a, a cultural experience, and it's not just the the open of courses of of Royal Troon. Uh, or Muirfield that can give you that it's the the Ely's and the Leavens that you've experienced I bet you've never played a golf course before like Ely and you never will so it's unique experiences and it's the uh, and, and I see Bannon Dunes is obviously pushing hard their, their latest golf course the Sheep Ranch which looks incredible and 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 their golf experience there looks incredible, but what it can never buy and never build is the history and the and the feeling and the ambience of the places that you go to in Scotland. So, um, I would really try and I know that's probably 
45 seconds but that is basically what you, you get here in scotland is you can get an in, intangible sense of the history uh, and money can't buy sense of, of these great golf towns and that's that's everything from north berwick st andrews dornock uh, and even a little fishing towns like anstruther and ely so I was listening to your, you know, I, I second that heartily. Uh, I was just listening to your interview with Jay Hartzell uh, earlier today, as a matter of fact, and, um, you know, listening to him talk about some of those out of, not really out of the way, but just lesser known golf courses. We did an entire day, sun up to sundown at Ely, and it was magical. Um, you know, that little corner 10, 11, 12 tee really is just one of the most special places on earth to me just the way the the topography the way the holes lay across the land and you know for someone that's chasing that's trophy hunting that's doing that uh, open rota chase they're never going to stop at a place like ely um i complimented graylin on it, and you talk about it at length on your podcast too he calls it the loomis method in his book but the sort of planting your flag and just immersing yourself in one area one region even of scotland makes such a difference you really get a flavor um for things other than just the golf course uh, which makes uh, having lived that makes planning the next trip all that more difficult because i know i'm not going to go over there and hop on a tour bus for seven days i'm going to i want to pick the right region for whatever group we have because we're going to go there and we're going to stay there uh, so yeah your people do listen to you rue uh, your words do have uh, some influence so never question that rue as an advocate for sharing not only the golf courses but the culture of Scotland, with all of those willing to listen and adventure, is what I would deem a co-architect and firm believer of the Loomis method of golf travel. As we discussed and talked about with Graylin Loomis in episodes two and three of this podcast, there is immense value in not spending your entire vacation in the van or on the train, running from course to course as fast as you can, playing as many holes as you can. Taking the time to enjoy, to savor, to make the memories that can't be made anywhere else is such a valuable lesson for all travel, uh, but I think particularly for Scottish golf trip travel and planning. Here are the rest of Rue's thoughts on what he considers that important message, and it's something he shares with all who will listen. I was just wanting to jump back to the uh, what you mentioned about the Grill and Loomis method and uh, definitely would echo that sentiment of trying to find one region in Scotland and, and stick into it. It's so easy to get greedy and try and take on too much, but I think it very much detracts from the golf experience and you can obviously talk to, to that having been over now is is staying in one area can give you so much more time to play those those golf courses that all are unique and, and brilliant in their own way. And I, and I say to people on their first golf trip to try and not get too greedy because uh, you'll come to Scotland for, for the first trip and you'll fall in love with it and you'll be back for a second trip and you can venture off into another corner of Scotland and, and find the golf and, and mine the golf courses out in another region. So um, definitely try and try and stay to one region or, or one or two regions and, and actually uh, forage around there and, and find plenty of good golf before uh, before booking a second trip. I tried to get Rue out on my traditional question of late of where do his golf daydreams take him 
when he closes his eyes and knows all of this COVID-19 business is behind us. I couldn't salvage that audio, but Rue, ever the romantic and Scottish golf altruist, said he would head to the north of Scotland. He'd head to the areas around Brora and Dornick with his wife and dog and drone in tow and patronize that area, which will be particularly hard hit by the lack of golf tourists in 2020. If you're not aware, one of Rue's recent podcast episodes was spent talking with Tron Carter of No Laying Up fame and that group's initiative to support Brewer Golf Club this year, as the lack of tourism dollars and pounds may put that club at risk of failing. It's become an incredible grassroots effort uh, to save one of golf's most special places. It's one of its most authentic places. And it's no surprise that Rue absolutely expects to put his money where his mouth is, or in this case, where his heart is. That is usually my swan song for guests, but we continued chatting a little bit uh, when the notion of pairing golf with a couple's trip in Scotland came up. And here's what Rue had to say. You know, it's interesting. I was there on a buddy's golf trip, kind of a a 40th birthday trip of a lifetime deal. But walking around St. Andrews, I couldn't help but think, my God, my wife would love this place. So, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And if you're looking for a couple's trip, then that that section I talked about, Dornock and Brora and down to Aberdeen, is is definitely a couple's trip. Lots of great um, walks and castles and stuff to go see. So it is a bit more laid back and quieter than you would get in St. Andrews. It was a treat to spend the better part of an hour with my guest, Rue McDonald. I'm very grateful to him, not only for his time and his patience as we worked out the technical issues, but also for his work in bringing his Scotland to the world through his podcast, his website, and now his YouTube channel. Links to all of which will be in the show notes and over on the blog, so I do sincerely hope you'll check those out. Hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. It's always fun to get a media personality on the other side of the microphone answering the questions instead of asking them. I hope Rue enjoyed it as well. Thanks for stopping by for this episode of the Blind Shots Podcast. We're the South's only golf podcast with a money-back guarantee. I hope you liked what you heard here and that you'll subscribe and maybe consider sharing an episode with your friends or blasting it out on your social media feed. If you didn't like what you heard here, sorry about that. I can't do anything about it now, but I promise we'll try to do better next time. If you did enjoy this episode, you can drop me a line on Twitter over at BlindShotsPod. A reminder that over at BlindShotsPodcast.com, you can download episodes of the show directly onto your favorite podcast playing device. You can also subscribe there. Uh, We're on all the major feed services, Apple, Blueberry, Stitcher, TuneIn, etc., etc. I hope you'll join me again next time here on the Blind Shots Podcast. But most importantly, I hope that you're being safe and smart and staying sane out there. We will get through this, and someday there will be a new normal. Until then, now that golf courses everywhere seem to be opening up and letting folks out for a game, play match play, do decide to go for it, and take dead aim. I can't look at him, I'm gonna get nauseous. What do you, I don't know what you're doing over there. <laughs>